Well, thank you so much, Greg, and thank you for being here this morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Glad to have you with us as we uh, jump into the series that we've been in now called Jesus. And one of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think is true about life is that there are some things that are always going to be constant no matter what. We've experienced that this week. If you've lived in our area, we had the opportunity to experience both summer and fall and winter in a matter of three days. Wednesday, it was summertime, uh, breaking some records. Come the next morning, it was a 30-degree swing, and we got to feel fall. And then Saturday morning, it was freezing at most, and we got the winter going on. And it was a great week if you like crazy things like that, which I don't prefer. I prefer that, that winter, by the way, is about maybe 30 minutes long. You know, can we get into it and out of it uh, pretty quick? Because that's kind of where I come from. But the truth is, like, I can't control that reality. There's some things about life that are, for lack of a better term, inevitable. They're just going to roll in, and I'm going to have to deal with it, and you are going to have to deal with it too. And, and with every season, you know this is true, with every season comes its own storms too, right? Like some of you are actually looking forward to winter. I still don't know why. And you're looking forward to the storms that will come. Um, they're generally, they come softer, but they come with some beauty to them, kind of, if you like that kind of thing. Again, I prefer not to have that. But there's nothing that I can do to stop the winter storm from coming other than move somewhere else. I can't actually stop it from happening. And there can be a feeling of inevitability every time there's a season change and every time that a storm comes through. And it doesn't take long in this life that you live and that I live for that same feeling about inevitability to get transferred over to the, if you will, the metaphorical storms that you face and that I face. You know, as I look into the, the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, what I feel like is I'm going to be staring down a plate of coated crackers that I'm going to have a struggle with looking at, and it almost feels inevitable, right, that they're going to end up in my mouth and into my body just because that's what happens during the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. And, and maybe you're in that same camp that it just feels like, I don't know, food just attracts itself to me during November and December and into January, and then I figure out how to, how to lose that weight in the new year. Right? There's an almost inevitability that comes with things of this season. And while that, that's kind of fun, I think we also recognize there's an inevitability that comes with other storms of life that we deal with. And some of you may be dealing with, honestly, a season of self-doubt and struggle. If you're a leader at all and you've you ever heard of and dealt with the imposter syndrome, wondering, will someday somebody wake up and realize you're actually not quite the leader that people think you are? You know, maybe you're in that season of doubt right now. Maybe you're Maybe you're one who looks in the mirror every morning and you wish that you look just a little bit different like some of the people that you see on Visco or Insta or Facebook or Twitter. That You just wish there's something different about the way that you looked and you're in that storm and you can't figure out how to get out. It just feels inevitable like I have to figure out how to deal with this. You know, maybe some of you are in a period of time where you're looking back on raising your kids and you kind of wish as you see the decisions your kids are making now and you kind of wish... I wish I would have been more present. <clears throat> I wish I would have been there more. I wish I would have cared a little bit more. I wish I would have put business and work aside a little bit and invested more in them. And you're kind of in that season of kind of self-beating up a little bit and kind of not sure how to get out of that. And just it's there for you and it feels like a heavy weight and you can't avoid it or can't ignore it. It just is coming. But maybe some of you are younger parents and you're looking ahead and saying, man, I'm kind of concerned about my kids when they get on the bus for the first time or when they go to elementary school or junior high, like the first time they hear a bad word, you know, what's going to happen in their world? And the first time they get bullied on the playground, like what's going to happen then? And boy, I'm afraid of what's going to happen when they get their own phone for the first time. I mean, that's going to open up a whole nother world and you're kind of anticipating there's going to be a season change. And with every season change comes storms. And 
none of us can get away from and out of the storms of life that come. And this past year for me, as many of you know, for me, has also been a very challenging year for me, both personally and professionally. It's been hard, uh, to be honest with you. It's been a hard year. And there have been some storms that have come, and they have felt like any other storm system in the world. It's inevitable. You just have to live with it, figure it out, and hope to God that things work out to the best, right? That, that there is this almost inevitability about things that we can't control. So in times like that, I look to a great source of inspiration for me, and I hope this will be a great source of inspiration to you. Calvin and Hobbes. <clears throat> right? So Calvin and Hobbes, if you ever read Calvin and Hobbes, um, Calvin is the kid and Hobbes is the pretend tiger. And he has created this game called Calvin Ball, which is amazing, okay? And Calvin Ball, as you can see, I mean, here's, you can't read the words here maybe, but I'll read them to you. Calvin is saying, sooner or later, all our games turn into Calvin Ball. And Hobbes says, no cheating, because the irony of Calvin Ball, if you don't know it, is that it's a, a mashing together of a whole variety of random games or things that he might find in the garage or laying out in the yard. And there's no real point to it, except the point is that Calvin gets to make up all the rules. So here, he has this little, like, um, mask thing on his eyes and he's swinging a badminton racket out of volleyball while Hobbes is riding a fake horse with a uh, croquet mallet and no cheating to which another segment says this Hobbes says no sport is less organized than Calvin ball and then uh, Calvin introduces a new rule new rule new rule if you don't touch the 30-yard base wicket with the flag you have to hop on one foot (laughs) and he makes up all the rules, and the reason he makes up the rules is because he wants to win, quite honestly. But here's what I learned from Calvin and Calvin Ball. It's a simple truth that actually is true for all of us, that whoever makes the game makes the rules, right? Whoever makes the game makes the rules. And so whenever you open up a game of Monopoly, or a game of Shoots and Ladders, or a game of Trivial Pursuit, you name the game, whoever has made the game has made the rules for you. Now, I get it, you may have house rules that are different, and you know, we don't play it that way, we play it our way, I get that. But on the whole, you don't open up a game of Shoots and Ladders and think, we have no concept of how to start. Like, the person who made the game made the rules. We roll the dice, we move forward, we go up, we go down, just the way it works. And here's what I think, that, that life and the world is like that. Whoever has made the world makes the rules. Whoever has made the system in which we all function makes the rules under which we all function. Whoever makes the game makes the rules just the way that it works. But when I'm in a storm, when I feel the weight, by the way, of something that I would call inevitable, Inevitability weighs a lot. Inevitability weighs a lot, especially if it has to do with pain, grief, or struggle, or suffering, or self-doubt. It weighs a lot. It feels like, oh, will I ever get through this? Will things ever change at home, in my marriage, in my business? Will I ever look at myself differently? Will I ever look in the mirror and see not just what I wish I could be, but who I am and how God has made me? Inevitability and the weight of that, it weighs a lot. And sometimes we look at the world and think, nothing can change about how this world works. It's inevitable that I must carry this burden. It's inevitable that I must handle it this way. It's inevitable that I'll be walking through this period, this time, this struggle. It's just kind of the way it works. And it does work that way if... We think that we make the rules. If we think, and if we're brought back to this picture, that there is a place, there is a a world in which we, you and I, are actually 
not the ones who have made up how this world works. If indeed there is a God in heaven who has made the world and all that is in it, he gets to make the rules. He also gets to kind of bend the rules that you and I are used to experiencing. And here's my interest for you this morning. I want for you to consider this, that, that when I come to life and when I take the, the struggles of the past year and, you know, that I've been working through, when you have the things that you're wrestling with, if I come to my life and I don't come underneath this idea that God is actually in charge and can do with this world as he will, I will often, I will often carry more weight than I should carry And secondarily, I will often board up my life to protect myself from a pending storm because I think that's the only way to get through it. Now, what Jesus does is he has a moment with his disciples. He creates a teaching environment. He performs another miracle. And in this series that we're in, I'm trying to introduce Jesus to you almost as he wants himself to be introduced. And one of the, the early gospel writers, John, who was a follower of Jesus, he wrote about a miracle that you may already be very familiar with, or you may not be, but it's a miracle that happens because Jesus forces the issue. He creates almost an artificial environment so that he can make a point. Now, the point is going to be, ultimately you'll see what the point is going to be, but what happens in this miracle pushes us to see the world in a different way and to see what Jesus' authority really means in the world that you and I live in. Now, what this is going to mean for you and what it's going to mean for me is this. I want to offer this to you. You get to consider whether this is true. I want to give to you this option that by the end of our time together, I want you to consider there may be a third way. There may be another way to see the world. There may not need to be inevitability around the things that you are dealing with, the struggles maybe that you have, the pain, the grief, whatever it might be that you're dealing with. There might be a third way, but I also want to say this from the beginning. The third way that I want to introduce is going to be costly to you. It's going to be costly. So with that being said, I want to take you back in time to a period of time where Jesus has just um, fed 5,000 people and is now about to interact with his disciples in a brand new way. Now, because at, at Grace Point, one of the things we value is the authority, if you will, of the Bible. We think that when the Bible was written and all the letters were composed and all the stories were told and the accounts recorded, that there's authority there. We want you to know that we're coming off of that. We're not just coming up with brilliant ideas on our own, but we are building off of what God has already told us through the scriptures. So I'm going to be telling you a story that you can find in what is the fourth book in the New Testament called John, John chapter 6. Typically what I'll do here is I'll read through verse by verse and make some commentary on them. This morning I just want to tell you the story, but I want to tell you where it's coming from so you can fact check it and see where and how I get my information, okay? But I'm just going to tell you the story this morning, but it's from John chapter 6 and it's going to be in verses, I believe it's 14 to, excuse me, verses 16 to 21 is where this account is told. But So with that as background, so you can kind of anchor somewhere, here's what's happening Last week, we were um, on a mountainside with Jesus, and he had what ended up being 5,000 at least men, and we think thousands more women and children, who were gathered around him, and all day he was teaching them. He was teaching them all kinds of things, and at some point he turns to his disciples and says, 
guys, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? These people are probably hungry. And he says, hey, Philip, can you go get them something to eat? <laughs> to which Philip looks and he's like, you've got to be kidding me. It would take eight months away just for them even to get a bite. Like, this is impossible. And last week, you saw that Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. This story picks up right where this day is ending. So if you can imagine how long it would take both to feed that many people and for them to eat, and the conversation, the story, and the teaching goes on, and as the day is coming to a close, here's what I think is happening. I think Jesus is saying, you know, I, would, I, I need some time away. And he realizes, we had learned this last week, he realizes that the people who are eating the miracle that he just did are wanting to make him king by force. So he withdraws to the mountainside so that people aren't going to come and make him king by force. But I don't think, when you're talking about thousands of people, I don't think everybody noticed that Jesus left the place. I think the buzz is still in the room, if you will. And so what he does is he tells his disciples, you guys, you who own the boat, I want you to go down to the lake there, and I want you to take your boat, and I want you to row across to Capernaum, and that, I think, will help people see that this moment is over. It's time for them to disperse. I want you to go, and I will meet you there. And so as night comes on them, the disciples go down to the lake, and as the evening is getting late into the dark of the night, they get into this rowboat that is their boat that they use to fish all the time. And these boats, to the best of our knowledge, are about 13 or 14 feet long is what they are. And they can at least hold about a dozen men. Let's think about how many were in the boat at the time. Maybe three abreast or so in the widest part of the boat. And they start rowing across the lake of Capernaum. They set their GPS to Capernaum, right? I mean, I don't know how they do that. They start rowing. I guess they know where to go. They've been you know, there before. And, but the problem is it's dark. It's dark at, at night, and they're kind of on their own. And I don't know if you've ever been out on a lake at night, but it is not the most welcoming environment to be out on a lake at night, at least not for me. And so here's these experienced fishermen rowing across the lake. And as John tells us the story, he says it's not just dark, but the storm picked up. The winds started to blow and the waves became choppy. And it, this, the sea, the, the lake became rough. And so as John tells us, after they had rowed three or four miles, three or four miles and something happened. Now, I don't know how long it takes to row three or four miles in an ancient fishing boat with the strength of the disciples who were there. I don't know how many oars they had. I don't know all that. But to the best of my calculations, which by the way are not very good, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, and this is an assumption, I'm assuming we're talking minimum of half an hour, maybe around an hour for them to go that far, given the conditions of dark and storm situation, wind blowing, the, the lake water splashing into their faces, the cool of the night, the lack of clarity, just the hard work it is to push through there. So they're going, I think, at least for half an hour, maybe for an hour. They're forcing their way, pushing their way through the water. And then, then they see Jesus walking toward them on the water, which is normal, right? Now, if you've heard this story before, you're like, oh, I know that story. Yeah, that's the walking on water story. Okay, good, I got the story. But put yourself in the boat for a minute, and there is no Jesus walking on the water story yet. There's just the story of he told us to go to the other side and we're going to the other side. And so here's these fishermen, these rough and tough fishermen, well-weathered, and they're rowing along through the storm and they see, they, John says, and then they saw Jesus walking on the water toward them. <laughs> oh, 
Sure they did. And then, then John says, and they were, depending on your translation, they were terrified or they were frightened. And that word means terrified and frightened. That's what it means. Now think about what in the world would it take to get kind of rough and tough fishermen terrified. I mean, what does it take to get a grown man terrified now? It's going to take more than a spider, I'll tell you that right now. It's going to take probably more than a snake, although that might do it for many of us, all right? But we're talking terrified, because this is the language that John uses. These guys are absolutely freaked out. They didn't care about the storm necessarily. At this point, they were like, we can handle the storm, but Jesus comes, and there's someone walking on the water, and they are terrified. To which Jesus then says, don't worry, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now, that seems reasonable enough, right? You ever have a, I happen to have some people in my house who tend to get a little excited when insects come into our house, you know. Um, you know, we get all kinds of things that, that show up mostly from my neighbor's house because they send them all down to us. And so, any, you ever try to tell someone who's afraid of a spider, just don't be afraid? <laughs> sure. I'll just stop panicking and freaking out and screaming like crazy. Sure, no problem. It is difficult to turn fear off like a light switch, isn't it? Just because fear often is just irrational. It's a reaction. It's just a moment. I can't deny it. It just is. So Jesus says, hey, just, hey, did, did, come on, guys. I mean, it's just me. Oh, sure. Just, like, we've never seen this before. What do you mean, don't be afraid? So they let him into the boat, and then John finishes the story, and says, immediately they went on, and they got to the other side of the lake, to Capernaum, where they were ultimately going. Now, I asked the question, you know, why is this story here and what, what's going on? And why would, Jesus, why would Jesus allow the disciples to go out onto the lake in the dark and through the stormy, choppy waters and all that, only to walk toward them? I mean, Jesus, it's, it wasn't eight hours, you know? Like, you could have you just come with them, my friend. Like, why did you need to do it this way? You know, what's going on with that? And here's my belief, that Jesus wanted to allow the disciples to experience the storm, and then come in, and we read in other accounts that the sea calmed when he sat down in the boat and moved on. That I think what was happening in that moment when the sea settled and the storm went away, I think what Jesus is trying to say is this, that the things that you think are inevitable, the things that you think are in charge of you, like the laws of nature, I'm king over what you think is king over you. Did you forget that? Now you, I'm sorry, did you think that it was inevitable that the storm would continue to be ruining you right now? I mean, I'll just tell it to stop. <laughs> but don't be afraid, I'm here. To which I'm like, there, there is inevitability to the seasons of the year. There is inevitability to the storms. And Jesus puts the disciples in a place where they experience it and feel it right away. And then I think he sends this message, <laughs> I'm king over what you think is king over you. Now, the question becomes this, what do I do with this idea? And for many of you, this may not be a new idea, but it is a powerful concept to stop on for a minute. The concept that all of the things, what if, and here's my question for you, what if all of the things that feel like they're actually inevitable for you come under the rule of God and may not actually be as inevitable as you think? What if all the storms that you're dealing with may not be as inevitable as you think? What if Jesus is king over what you think is king over everything? I mean, the laws of nature are king over everything. There's no way we can divert a hurricane from hitting Florida or the Bahamas or Bermuda. We can't stop that from happening, can we? No, we can't. 
But what if the laws of nature aren't actually in charge of this world? What if the way that God set up this world, what if whoever makes the game makes the rules? Now, here's my question behind this. What do I do with this principle? Because I think it's true. I think that Jesus put the disciples out there to say, hey, go experience that storm. And I just, I want to send a little reminder to you. I'm king over what you think is king over everything. The things that you think are inevitable, they're not inevitable. They're just not. I mean, I know you're so used to it. It is the way the world works. Seasons come and go. Spring, summer, winter, fall. Again, same thing next year. Spring, summer, winter, fall over and over and over again. But just in case you get lulled into a complacency that this is how the world works, just in case you get lulled into a complacency when you look in the mirror and think, I'm always going to be this kind of person, just in case you get lulled into a complacency that thinks my marriage will always be the way it is, and I should you know, look back with shame on the things that I've done in the past, just in case you get lulled into complacency that says, because I've done this, this will happen, just in case you get to that point, I want you to know that Jesus is king over what is king over you. Now, here's what happens next. John is one of the three gospel writers that records this story, okay? He's one of the three that records this story. And the other two, Matthew and Mark, they record it from a little bit different perspective. And Matthew tells a story, and as he tells a story, he tells a story about one disciple in particular who had a different reaction than all of the other 11 had. And he tells a story about a guy named Peter, and you may know this story. Peter decides when he sees Jesus that he's going to get out of the boat and walk with him. He's going to walk to him on the water. It's an interesting situation that Peter says, you know what? Everyone else is terrified. Why don't I get out of the boat and walk toward Jesus? And here's what this teaches me about faith. And this is an intriguing concept I'd love for you to consider. And it says this, if someone is going to get out of the boat and do this kind of thing, here's what I think is happening. That getting out of the boat means that faith is a scary place where fear is confronted. That getting out of the boat, when Peter gets out of the boat, what it means is, if I'm going to have faith in God through the storms of life, that, that faith isn't something that is expressed in a calm, but is expressed in a rage of storm. That I don't, wouldn't classify Peter's response in the moment that he ex- expresses faith as a time of calm and peace. You know, for, for many of us, if, you ever, if you've been in church, or you've, you, you may think about, oh, someone who's someone of faith, they seem so calm, they seem so peaceful. You know, let's just sing a song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and sing it maybe slow, and, and then it can work, and we can all be calm and peaceful in our faith. And I'm just, I want to remind us that faith, when exercised for real, faith creates turmoil in you and me, that faith pushes you into fear, that faith is a scary place where fear is confronted. Faith isn't a place of calm and rest. Faith by default means I'm confronting my fear. I don't know if I should write this person a note to forgive them, but I think I might need to. I don't know if I need to you know, call the counselor, but I think I might need to. I don't know if I really should get the help that I need, but I think it's time that I should do it. I don't know if I should get out of the boat, but maybe, maybe, maybe I should. And that's what Peter does. He gets out of the boat, and he puts his faith into action, but it isn't comfortable for him. It isn't comfortable. It's painful. It's it's full of all kinds of anxiety and fears that surround it and kind of batter it. And then Jesus, when he's out walking to Jesus, Jesus says this to him in Matthew chapter 14, 31. It's so intriguing. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him, and he said, you of little faith, he said. Now, I just wonder what he would have said to the other disciples who were in the boat. Like, would he say, you have littler faith? <laughs> who, who didn't get out of the boat? But he says to Peter, you have little faith. And then this is so funny. Why did you doubt? 
how, what kind of question is that? Why did you? Well, because, because Jesus, <clears throat> because, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a storm going on right now, and I've not walked on water as long as you have, and I'm, I don't know, maybe a little nervous that maybe I'll sink, you know? I mean, why do, why do you think I doubt it? And the question almost presupposes that Jesus thinks it's foolishness, <laughs> it's foolishness to doubt in that moment. Why did you doubt? Come on, Peter. Peter. Why, did, why in the world, Peter, would you, do you think, is this bothering your faith that we're standing on the water in the middle of a storm? Does that bother you, Peter? I mean, that's what faith is. Why? why? Can you help me understand why you're doubting, Peter. To which I'm like, well, Jesus, what kind of question is that? Of course he's doubting. Of course he's doubting. This is ridiculous. But he gets out of the boat, and he comes to Jesus. Jesus helps him up when he sinks. And they get back in the boat together, and they, they finish the story. That's one response. And it's an amazing story to see people who do this. When you think about people who can do this kind of thing, get out of the boat and step into scary things, to step into places where most people don't step into, it shakes us and changes us. Many of you know last year in Dallas, there was a guy named Botham Jean who was murdered by a Dallas police officer, a white police officer, um, Amber Geiger, walked into the wrong apartment complex and shot him, thinking that she was in her own and that he was an intruder in her apartment. If you've been following the news and been following social media, for sure you've now seen the, the video or the viral video of Botham Jean's younger brother, 18-year-old brother, uh, Brant Jean, who had the opportunity this week in a Dallas courtroom to address Amber Geiger, the white police officer who had been convicted of murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Brant was given the chance to make a victim impact statement, and he took that opportunity. His mom later said, I didn't know what he was going to say, but I know that he had been shut down ever since his brother died. He just internalized and just hardly had much to say at all, and so he wanted to. He wanted to speak. She said, I didn't know what he was going to say. And if you haven't heard it before, I wanted to let you see it this morning, because the way Brant talks this morning is the speech and the language of someone who has gotten out of the boat and says and does something that hardly anybody else will do, which is why you may have already seen this, but the story is indeed powerful. So listen to Brant. Don't want to... say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past, each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And 
I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. You know what's inevitable in situations like that? Justice, anger, retribution. You know what Brant did? He got out of the boat. He said, no, 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 I'm going to keep my eyes on. And Jesus, an offer forgiveness that is unusual, one, got out of the boat. That's what Peter did. This, that kind of, of forgiveness, that kind of grace, says, you know what, the things that seem most inevitable, oh, that when my brother is killed, sure, I'm going to be angry with you. I'm going to hold justice tight. There's a reason why this pops to us, because only one person of many of us would do something like this. But here's where most of us are, if we're honest. When we face the inevitables, when we face the storms, Jesus came back and interacted with the other disciples in the boat. And here's what Mark tells us happened in the boat. Here's what happened in the boat. He climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. He paints a picture of the hardness of the hearts of people who just think this is the way the world works and are blown away when it doesn't. And what I don't want for you and what I don't want for me is for our hearts to be hardened. I don't want for you and I don't want for me to look back on the pain, to look at the current struggle you're in, to look at the failures you may have had in the past, to look at the people who have offended you and ticked you off in the present, to look at your own shame and guilt, maybe the abuse that you've experienced in the past, and think, it's just inevitable that I must carry the weight of this, and therefore I will board myself up because the storm is coming, and I must deal with it. But what if, what if Jesus, what if Jesus rules over all that rules over you, 
What if Jesus rules over everything that rules over you? How would you actually live your life if this were actually true? What if Jesus were in charge of the storms that seem like you can't get away from them? What if he actually were in charge of all of that? And that's how I think he introduces himself to you and to me when he sends the disciples out on the lake and says, go experience the storm. Have a great time with it. I'm going to show up in your life and I'm going to calm it and we're going to move on. And we look at it and like, how in the world can you do that? No one gets rid of the storm. No one can change the season. No one can change the rules of the game except the one who made them. And that's what Jesus did for the disciples. And when we see people like Brant show us a picture of the forgiveness of Christ in a get-out-of-the-boat moment, it inspires us to think, shoot, maybe I'm in the boat. Maybe I haven't stepped into faith. I should be calling a counselor, and I haven't. I should be forgiving the person I've been angry with, but I haven't. I should be reinvesting in my marriage, but I haven't. I should be reprioritizing my own faith journey, but I haven't. It's just too much. I can't step out of the boat. It's not comfortable out of the boat. But that is faith. Faith isn't calm and comfortable. Faith confronts the fear and says, I'm stepping into faith out of this boat because Jesus rules over all that rules over me. And this is how Jesus introduces himself to me and to you. And so what I want for you and what I want for me is I want you to be people and I want me to be someone who steps out. Not because it's comfortable, far from it. It's way more comfortable to have no faith and be in the boat. But I want you to step out for the very reason that it is uncomfortable and that it does require faith and that it does confront your fear. And I don't know what that means for you. That might mean. That might mean for you, it might mean a phone call. It might mean a letter. It might mean an email. It might mean a conversation with someone. It might mean that you need to write some things in your journal. It might mean you need to rethink some of your habits. It might mean you need to stop, start, continue, or discontinue something. But here's what I want. I don't want you, and I don't want me, going through life thinking the storms are inevitable, and the pain and the weight and the struggle of it all is inevitable. I'm always going to be, and this is always going to be the way that it's going to work. When you play the game, you open up the board game of shoots and ladders, and you get up to a ladder, you get to go forward, and then when you get to a shoot, you have to come down. But what if when you get to the shoot, God intervenes? Because I think he can. Because that's how Jesus introduced himself to the world, to you and to me. So what would you do? What would you do? If you could step out of that boat. What would you do if you had all the confidence in the world that God actually is in charge of all the things that seem like they're in charge of you? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm here. And I pray that you, that I, will have the courage to trust Jesus in your marriage, in your spiritual life, in your finances, in your relationships, in your leadership, in your service, in your class. Because Jesus rules over all that rules over you and me. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to see again how your Son introduces himself to the world.
in a stark and striking reminder of the power of God, breaking into a world where the laws of nature seem to be the law, the way things work. So I pray for those of us who are admired in that space of looking at ourselves, looking at our family, our friends, our future, our past, feel like this is the only way it can be. I pray that you would give us the courage, like Brant John, to step out of the boat into forgiveness, to step out of the boat into faith and trust, even with all the conflict and struggle and pain that it will bring and the tears that it will bring. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help our faith not to be comfortable, to think that somehow just because we're in the boat, we're doing the right thing. I pray that you put us in the point of pain and, and hurt, not just because we love the pain, but because we see and are confronted with the very vulnerabilities that we try to hide from those of us, from our friends around us. And I pray that in that space, you would remind our soul it is okay. Don't be afraid. Why did you doubt the period of anxiety? Why did you doubt that God can come through? Because this is what faith actually means. So I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to do what we know that we need to do, trusting that you are a God who rules over all that rules over us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.